25 Years of Vampire the Masquerade presents Requiem for Rome. Hey folks, DJ here. I just want to take some time to talk about Werewolf the Apocalypse Retaliations by Flyles Games. This soon-to-launch game is brought to you by the same team that's bringing you Vampire the Masquerade chapters, and they just released a trailer to go along with it. We at 25 invite you to check it out at werewolfthepocalypse-retaliation.com to catch a peek at the trailer and be updated of when it'll appear on Kickstarter, which seems to be early 2022. The game promises to have everything that made chapters endearing to us, the fans, including scenarios, investigations, beautiful miniatures, and more. With that, thanks for your time. Welcome back, folks, as we're diving into the final part of Requiem for Rome. Um, we went over quite a bit so far. We went over the rough overview of what the Rome book's about in the intro and how excited we were about it. Um, and that's part one. And uh, part two, we just went over the, uh, the Julii. We went over who Remus was and how much of a jerk uh, Romulus was for killing him and uh, whatnot. We described the main battle between uh, an entity called the, the Strix... Uh, and, of course, what that means to them and the founding and the importance of the Julia. Quite a bit and a lot to get into. Uh, but many of you will have pointed out there's a lot we didn't detail out. And that's because we need stuff to talk about here. And it needs its fair, its fair time in the sun, as it said. And so what we're going to do first is we're going to start off talking to you about the themes here and, more importantly, how to run a Roman game. It's, it's tips they give you in this book we want to bring to light. That, I think, is very important for the authors that they wanted to get mm -hmm. out and to understand why you should have this book. Other than we said it's great. And we're going to get into that first. Uh, but before we do that, uh, Brennan, welcome back. Hi, everyone. DJ, how you feeling? Ah, times two this time. All right, he's still he's still Romanesque. I love it, um, and we're we're in gear. Um, so what we're going to do is we're going to get over to the theme of Rome, and we're sort of going to talk uh, a little wax poetic, as they say, because that's what this is designed to do. I feel a lot of people are afraid to grab a book and kind of have a discussion with the authors, and what I mean by that is the authors put in here what they meant this book to be to you, and you do yourself service by reading through this and deciding what it may mean to you after you read their view. Their intent meets your application, as I like to say. And so in that regard, this talks about the grand themes for Requiem of Rome. And of course, it kicks off with grandeur and hypocrisy. And as it says here, the Empire of Rome and the Kindred Society of the Camarilla are both great achievements, and both are slowly rotting on the inside. What about grandeur and hypocrisy draws us to want to do a story with that theme? What do you think? I think it's because... Well, I think it's because one of the things that we normally do whenever we're reading a story is... It's the same reason we kind of read like Greek tragedies, right? It's always a god that messes up somehow, but then it's about the demigod who has to suffer something really extreme. Heracles and his family getting wiped out. Um, even talking about like Achilles and having the one weakness in his heel, but him going to war. And it's always the flip side of it because I think at the time, if you tried just telling a regular story about a man, it makes no difference. How was your day, Bob? Oh, I was kind of pretty shitty. I got fired from my job, but you know, it is what it is. Got another day to go. Really? Don't you got a family to feed? Yeah, but it is. But that's like everyone's story, right? Especially if you're on the street and you're immortal. Everyone's already suffering as it is. So you need a, the, the rush of serotonin to find out something truly horrible or something great happened in order for you to draw that emotion. And I think especially because of the way that Rome was kind of played out, or rather I should rephrase that, because of what had occurred to Rome, and it does strike those high and low chords, like really, really high and really, really low, it gives you the reason to play in that theater. And especially as a vampire, right? Now think about it as a vampire, one of the things that we want to play around with, and I thought it was very clever is, imagine a vampire as well suffering through anyway. Things are just boring if they aren't to like heightened degrees. And I think that's where it kind of pairs itself up at that time. I, I think vampires so, here in, gra in grandeur and hypocrisy um, to, uh, to change this up a little bit, um, we think of Rome as an entity as that grand theme that, hey, we're in Rome, what, what are we going to do? But what's the difference between modern Rome and ancient Rome? Well, modern, first off, right? And then being in the ancient past. Now, the problem with the two is that, well, can't you see 
that there are a lot of elements of ancient Rome that exist now today. Certain architecturally. Um, right. Also, you could say religiously, right? The Vatican, the Catholic Church that was founded by uh, towards the end of the Roman Empire. There, there's definite elements of that, right? There's, uh, there's definitely more detail to that than that, but in the grandeur and hypocrisy is what we're talking about. I don't know if you necessarily want to make Catholics, uh, Catholicism hypocrites, but, uh, you know, grandeur definitely it fits, I'd say. And certainly some people would say hypocritical would fit that. But why I point that out is because as you begin thinking of these ideas and you begin thinking of what ancient Rome was, I like to think of modern Rome as well and why that might appeal to us. Like I think in grandeur and hypocrisy, um, you can think of what the royal family in England's become. Certainly it has its grandeur, but what's entertaining? The fact that the queen is the queen and long may she reign and live. Uh, however, um, are you shocked to hear when one of the princes has a... Uh, has issues? Not anymore. I right. think at one point it is. Right, but at one point, why? Why? Because it's such a scandal. Uh, you say scandal, right? Well, I think he's asking why is it a scandal? I mean, there's um, the tracing back like uh, the the origins of like uh, royal families, right? It even goes back to like when uh, kings and queens were believed to have been divinely appointed. Right, so to criticize one is to criticize the the decision of God. That's Correct. going like way back. Right, that's the grandeur that they're built up to to say that they are born better than everyone else. But when you find out, no, you're not. He likes to spank mm -hmm. his monkey in the same closet David Carradine was in, and in fact requested the room and reserved it to write his new book. I wonder what he's really doing there, writing a new book. Right, and who knows? Mm -hmm. Right, I'm not saying he's done that, but would it shock me to hear that that happened? No. Right. I'm not one to judge anybody for what they find their pleasures in, but it's refreshing to hear that they're humans and they know exactly. that. Exactly. And it's there. But the burden of that as well, right, to have that grandeur. And that's the part that's missed here. As grand as you want to say you are in Rome, that hypocrisy is important. You have to hold to it, right? I believe it was the Julii who were described as being brutal in their civility. They're mm -hmm. both. Right? What a hypocrisy. And the fact that, uh, was they they believe in equality, but then there's slavery, right? Equality mm -hmm. amongst themselves, from Roman to Roman, of course we're equal. equals, right? Exactly. Right? They <laughs> they play they play like uh, references to like democracy and like the republic and all of that. But even the Roman Republic was never really that. It was always an oligarch. It was oligarchy. It was always a small group of people that were making the decisions for everything. Well, that's interesting that you have that viewpoint. Now, in Rome, you headed to where the senators had a very big problem. They realized that they're nothing without a Roman army to back them. Mm -hmm. As great they wanted to say, these freaking soldiers who should be beneath them, they're, they're not anything without them. And so they got to keep them happy. They got to keep them paid. This is no different than how any nation looks at their military, first and foremost. That we know what cider bread is buttered on, because when everything fails, these are the people who are going to stop me from being killed. That's that. All right, but we can't do that because we have so many people. We have to try to appease as much as we can. How do we handle the great monster that is everybody in society? Well, the answer is we give them a choice. They, they can choose to let their opinion be known in votes we tell them to have. You know, nominate your person to bring them up to show their affairs, and that's what we'll view as important. Politics and so on and, and nonsense. And that's not different than when someone goes to the Senate to try to pitch their opinion, or a senator tries to go into an office and convince the Senate of a big sweeping reform or a new bill, because in Rome, they were litigious. They absolutely did this quite a bit in terms of uh, um, convincing one another what should be done for the benefit of the Republic, as was said left and right. The rise of Caesar changes this. Where, where they realize a tyrant will sit the throne and we don't have a choice. And when that happens, that flips the script. Now that we haven't done yet. Not yet, not right now in the modern, and who knows how far off from that ever happening. Uh, but we know that's what we don't want. We still want that. But what you have then is a giant entity slowly, and this is Rome I'm referring to, and you mm -hmm. draw the line for America in your own, but this is a group of people who have given up caring about what their government does for them. Because they don't feel they're supported, and they don't feel they're backed, and they don't think their interests are best are best kept. Where now, when they look at the news, there's so much distraction thrown up from the real thing. 
How might you ask? There's way more entertaining videos and everything else that went on for, for, for COVID stuff and things like that to keep you sedated and knowing that we're on it. There's money relief that was thrown at people to do the same thing. Where do you think they got their shtick from here in the modern? They took it from Rome. When Rome had its plagues, when Rome had its shortages, when Rome couldn't feed its people. Et circes, et circes, I'm butchering it, but it means bread and circuses. They oh, ran the sake, Circus yeah. Maximus. Right? Come watch the races. Come watch gladiators kill each other. Come watch slaves, which we have an overabundance in our taxing our grain anyway, which we're having a food shortage. What better way than watch them kill each other? Let's keep you placated to buy us another couple seasons as the Senate, the few up top, who are telling you, the people, oh no, your public opinion is super important. We're telling you what you want to hear. Please enjoy your gruel tonight. We'll work on it. Maybe some meat will be freed up to the market to retire to their estate to eat a whole entire swine worth of meat and fruit. That's what we're talking about. That's that Granger level, right? Like, wow, you hypocrites. Well, yeah, yeah, that's what you have because what's good for me is not what's good for you. It's something... Have you heard that before related to children? Do what I say, not as I do? Of course. Of course. Right? It's because the children don't know any better. You can't do for yourself. You don't know what's good or bad. I'll tell you what's good and bad because I provide. It's the same mentality. And that's what they do here. And that's why that theme's important. And when you hit that theme, you have to understand, we don't want the players to necessarily have to play beneath the Senate level if they don't want to. If they want to be propinky, they should be allowed. And you should encourage them to do that because you want them to be the focal point. We don't push the players to the background. I don't care what your, your battleground is or what super thing going on is. If none of your players are out there in the war, then they're inside battling in the Senate. And in this book, they give tons of tools of how to do just that. Have a real deal Senate style swayed opinion discussion and or argument to sway things for the entire uh, uh, Senex uh, that's there. Not only that, if you want to go to war, that's what the Legio's for, right? We, we know that. And they mm -hmm. have that out there and that control for that. But let's say you want to get more religious and deal with the auguries and to deal with that. Well, we got you covered, but what if you want to be a rebel and overthrow these pigs, these, these people who think having slaves is a thing and like this this all that matters, this is all contained in this book. But again, every single element mentioned now has grandeur and a hypocrisy to it. Every bit of it. Mm. Because when you think of the people who come here to change Rome, don't you think the reason why they're here is in question? They probably got a sweeping grand idea, but why might you be a rebel coming into Rome to take it down? Because of what it represents, most likely. If you're coming into Rome, it's because you're coming from a place that was conquered or destroyed by them. There's always a, a vendetta there. Of course. Right? Spartacus, Carthage. Exactly. And like any... Rome was a, a lumbering giant in like a, in an almost like undefeatable way. But everything... What is that What is that phrase? The, the bigger they are, the harder they're going to fall. Uh-huh. Like, um, right. It's uh, it's it's a hell of a revenge tale, definitely David versus Goliath. But uh, you, I think someone with enough, uh, well, the right motivation, the right determined, right amount of determination, will try to see that through, even if they burning in the sun. Well, don't you think that's interesting, though, and maybe a little bit dishonest in their introspection, that they don't have the wherewithal to think. Well, what am I going to do if I do topple them? Aren't I going to be seen as someone that is up there in term? If I have the power to make Rome bleed and to take from them that might that they have and make it my own, isn't that what I'm doing? I didn't set out to make it my own, but yes, that is what you do. When one conquers, you don't do it. Like when you play the Game of Thrones, you play to win. It's to rule. Otherwise, why'd you, you step die. up? Exactly. Or you die. It's as simple as that. So if I'm coming in and I'm going to be the anarchist, the rebel, burn it all down and start again... It's because I have a plan to rule. And if you don't think that's what you're doing, it's because you don't understand what a mass group of people are. You don't get it. I'm not calling us individually ignorant. What I'm saying is we can't possibly all have our needs and wants and desires cared for. It's impossible. But we have basic necessities we can demand as a group. And provided we can keep getting those, we can agree to get along to get along. But watch what happens when suddenly we start having to pay for water. 
or fresh air becomes a cost-effective monthly cost that we have to factor in everything we do. And then it depends on how much money you make is how much it's going to cost. And we make it less to cost for those uh, upperclassmen who are able to pay a little lot more to, the, to whatever because apparently their job is so much more important than the cog and the wheel worker who's actually in the factory making that possible, making those new filters for that cool air package company that is now charging us money. Watch what happens. You want to talk about unrest the moment you tell me I have to pay for air? Huh? Right? It's, it's, do you, I promise you it's going to go ugly. And that's why there's a line certain governments won't cross. Because there is a breaking point that you can clearly see. And that's why every anarchist does one thing. They bitch well. They do a great job complaining. But when you look at them and go, well, if not them in charge, then what are you going to do? Well, I would, I would provide these great lofty ideals for everyone. Oh, are you? Well, that's interesting, because I, I just heard you have an argument with DJ. Brennan, and you guys can't see eye to eye on the, on the cost of a Chipotle burrito based on the fact that down south is a lower cost of living and up in New York it's an arm and a leg. Right? But DJ's got to have Chipotle. Right? And Brennan can point out that DJ makes a fortune by comparison because it's skewed. Uh, you know, in, in that factor too. And you're going to have difference of opinion. This is great to do in a Rome game. Because that one theme touches everything you can't get away from it. Right? Um, so... To that theme and that drum to beat, um, we talked about old and new a bit, and you can also do a little decline and fall. And decline and fall, Brennan, is where I see you having a heyday. If I'm making a campaign, I already see what's going to draw your attention. What draws a lot of people. Everybody likes it when the big guy can be whittled down to nothing and you're the cause. Everybody. Me included. I have a chance to make Rome fall. And if you think you don't, look at Boudicca's Rebellion. Mm-hmm. Look, you just right. point me at their pillar and give me a sledgehammer. Or at least tell me where I can find one. I will right. have a day. Life of the fire, Brandon's great. But it's more than that. It's something that was great that why does it fall? It rots from within, as it says. Because in its idyllic version, you're very correct, Brennan, back to the point. And even for us, you know, for the Americans, we feel that this is true. We want to believe in the best of us. That we nominate who we nominate because they're going to be honest and say what they do. But so many of our leaders have lied to us that that's not the common anymore. That trust is violated. And mm -hmm. we don't know if it'll ever come back. And because of that, a lot of people are scared and shaky in that. Well, you've got an idea of what it... We, we're privileged society. We're calm. We're civil by standards. If we're in Rome, that's anarchy. The moment the Senate became vulnerable and the citizens couldn't believe in them anymore or what they were going to do, that infects the soldiers who are no longer going to go out and fight and die in a war they don't think that senator can afford to have. Why? His workers and other citizens that work under him say they're not going on strike. They're not going to do that. They're not going to pick that food. They're going to let that rot and die. They're not bringing in the yield. He doesn't have the money. So why are we going to go run for him? Well, wait, because you're a Roman soldier. I am, and for the senator with the most money. And so you're going to see shifts in power and in the lines that do that, but that's rotting from within. It's what happened to the nobility of being that soldier where you represented all Roman citizens. I also think it's a choice that's also brought into it, especially as a theme that's being brought in for a vampire to play because you make that choice. That's the, the sucky ass part about it. You make that choice the same way that there's a hypocrisy. One of the biggest things that weighs you down. I, I shouldn't say weigh you down. Let me take that back. One of the horrors of playing in Rome we spoke about the hypocrisy of saying if you beat like what if Boudicca succeeded, right? And or what if your your anarchy your anarchist movement has succeeded? People are gonna push you into that position of power. Do you say no to them? Who says no to them? Well, you wouldn't say no to them. Now you have power put in front of you. That's the hypocrisy of it, right? But the the decline and the fall, as you were mentioning, that rot that comes from within is a conscious choice. You could die right now. Or you could see yourself wither away on that particular aspect of it. And what's also very perverted about it, to say the truth, is when you know that a story is about to end, sometimes you have that free fall. And I think we've spoken about this. When you know that your character will reach an end to a certain degree, it makes the story that much more exciting. It's almost like, to me, I was picturing 12 Monkeys. Knowing that, at, like, you know what's going to happen at the end of the movie, and it's how you get there that's going to matter the most. As people start to panic, what happens if Brendan ended up getting that virus? So let's make it more Romanesque, right? What if we know it's going to be that night that we got to go ahead and take Caesar down? <laughs> Who's going to show up? Who's going to show up to that party? And what if you don't show up to that party? 
and then there's a there's a consequence at dealing with it and it's all because it's all crumbling down and should you it's either stay in Rome or get out right no you're right right and, and should you right because to me if it's tailored to the players what dealings do they have with Caesar and why would that matter right why are they up there with the Senate even caring about that when they should be down below in the necropolis Right, where there's they've got to have a matter going down there with the cynics and themselves, and no doubt they already planned. Hey, we could see it coming a mile off. What do you want us to do? They're free to make their own decisions because we respect this masquerade that the Julii right. have enforced. It's the way of things, and that's and that's how they do that there. But those are themes, right? And obviously, you can endlessly play those harpsichord strings for like what if and what how, but you know you're in the right vein when you can have that discussion about them and talk about it. They fit. But it does require a bit of realism to what you're saying, right? We went over before history and its place, right? We mentioned before that you don't have to be historically accurate to make it historically fun. Mm -hmm. But it's important that you keep to a logic. That's the importance of it. Otherwise, you're shattering where you're at. You're ruining the immersion of it. But that's what it comes down to. To say that there aren't similarities between two great nations, there's a reason they made the Rome book a Rome book. is because you absolutely can see similarities. They didn't say they're exactly the same. And in fact, you can't go around thinking that. Every incident is different to the perceptions of the ones experiencing it. That's the ultimate thing to understand. That's what you have to do for your game, especially when you look at history. For instance, they roll in here with history and play, talk about anachronisms and mistakes. Mm -hmm. Anachronisms and errors only matter if they break the feeling that the characters are in ancient Rome. You need them to feel that they're in ancient Rome, and you know what, if you error, who cares, right? It's gonna be okay if you make a mistake. You'll probably be the only one to notice. And if you're not the only one to notice, that player has to make a decision. Is it really important that I know uh, when this uh, Cestus was actually, this gladiatorial weapon was actually made? You know, by who had it and where did it come from? That a Gaul actually designed it or whatever? Is that important? Or am I just a gladiator in the arena using it? Or like, uh, to take the Highlander example, right? Kilts weren't around then, right? But no one one cares because it doesn't break the immersion of it. But if you see a cell phone or like a car or a plane in the background, (coughs) Troy, um, you uh, you might be like pulled out of it a little bit, a little bit. But you would. How would you know I was about, about to it? Say, you're you're right. A, how would you know about it? Because the other person, so long as it's like a J.J. Abrams movie, right? Everyone's high on ice as the movie's going, and at the end, you're like, that made no fucking sense. Why did I? What? Why? <laughs> because the bright lights were happening. Everything was happening. You were all amped up, but. I think this is this one section the history and play I think is one of the biggest things that has to get addressed because I think for people that want to run any type of historical game it's the first turn off because they feel that the people that they're going to play with there's always going to be that one person just sitting there waiting to go well actually and you're like you son of a bitch and here's right? the truth so, they're going to be there anyway <clears throat> no, you're right. They are. But usually that's the fear of it. But it's good to see it here and that there's so many outs because you're right. It's the feeling, the mood. The in, even in the first podcast we did regarding it, they tell you, you as a vampire, especially if you're running a long game, the fog of eternity will change. Did that really happen? Is it as they said in the history books? Or is it not? You're not being able to tell, but I do remember the color of her toga. I remember the locks in her hair. I remember the curls that she had, the sandals that she wore, the single light that came off from the torch in the background. And that evokes that ancient Roman feel while giving you a a flavor, a taste of it right in the background without having to bog yourself in the minutiae of, and as you turn the corner, you stepped in plebeian shit yet once again. (laughs) And it's like... Why? Right. Why did I need to know? How is that important to the story? But I, I, I can't stress enough. I think this was really important to kind of read there because it gives you the out of what you should be really focusing on if you're going to make a story in this one section. I can't believe I talked about plebeian shit. I can. I but can I was going to say. It. I was going to say it though. But that's that's making it feel Roman when you use terms like that. When your name is you know <laughs> Bobicus Maximus Aurelius Tiberius, right? And it's not just hey Bob, what are you doing this round? You know, it's, you're going to give me my title. You're going to use that name. You're asking me to give into the grandeur of what that character would be and to, to right. kind of be grounded in it. And you mentioned J.J. Abrams and stuff like that, but they're equally, I'm not, I, I watch a movie to be entertained. That's really what this of is course. saying. 
anachronisms, and mistakes. If you're a historian or you're really a Navy SEAL or you're really a UFC fighter, don't go watch a modern action film expecting to get technical and accurate things done. Expect that flash and that panache and that coolness uh, to be displayed there because you want the toddler, or not the toddler, but like the eight-year-old, to leave trying to fight you on the way out to the parking lot believing they could do flip kicks and, and whatnot because it's a good night out. You established a good memory for them. They enjoyed watching that film, and they had fun. And you know what they're remembering? I was a kid once. I could tell you what I remembered. It was the popcorn. It was the smell of my dad's hair, because uh, he had that little the hot comb go through it right as we sat there watching it. And for my film uh, that we went and watched, it was uh, Action Jackson, which is an old yeah. action flick right from back in the day. I didn't care about Carl Weathers being some badass, whatever. It's, it was up on screen, whatever. I cared about me and my dad were hanging out, and we were in the theater. And I got my popcorn. I had an impossible tub of it. Uh, the, the smell of the stickiness of the floor where we were, like all theaters seemed to have. And uh, the fact that the people that were in here, everybody started laughing like they were, they were family. Like, we were just out there. Like, you know, if you're watching a film with a group of your family, someone would have a comment. You would laugh. Oh, no, he's not going to go over there. Oh, he did say that. You know, punching and whatnot. It was interactive. It was fun. It was a great time. But, man, did I leave saying, like, catchphrases, you know. Action Jackson. Bob Batten. Half kid. Half amazing. Right? Running around and my dad going, calm down. Calm down. Calm down. That's the street. Hey, stop running. You know, that's all he did. But it was a great, it was a great experience, you know. And you want to do that for your game. So what? It's Rome, right? And you got to slow it down a little bit. And if you concentrate that the background color is less effective and you focus on the player and why they're sitting there, you'll do a great job. I said this once before. I'm going to say it again because I think rays of sunshine are always good. And it's interesting I say ray. Um, I'm going to say it again. Ray Jenkins is someone I sat down and went through this book. I watched him do something amazing. Forever in a day, this guy did a lot to just talk himself. Whatever the players were, he would spend an amazing amount of time telling you the narrative of a grand novel while the players sat there, almost held hostage for hours at a time, barely ever getting involved in game. But he evolved. And by the time he launched this game, he spoke very little. Because what he said was, it's all here, you guys know Rome, I have a story. However, it's not relevant. Because I know what you guys want to do in-game, and what you are, and what your coterie represents. So let's focus on these moments. And why that was cool, is because it's something that I borrowed from him. I actually added to my stick, right, uh, from doing that, because I saw where it could be even better for me. Right, he handed me a torch, took that torch, and ran with it. And uh, one of the cool things is, he was able to make me feel like I was an actual legionnaire in Imperial Rome, just like I read about it. You know, uh, there are there are combat styles that are in this book that like make you testudo, shield up, guard and block, stab with it. That you can't be defeated in combat if you have another fellow legionnaire, and it's it should be that way, right? And that's the feel of him because he could do that. It made it to where when he went to the gladiatorial games and encountered a gladiator, it felt north and south of what we knew. This gladiator had a wild, crazed way of fighting with unique, exotic weapons and a different culture entirely. Here I am. I felt like a turtle, <laughs> right? I don't have my big shield. I don't have 15 guys to all surround this person and stab them. I got to figure it out. But what, what are the three moves I learned as a Roman shoulder, soldier? Shield block, stab with this javelin. Maybe if they're too close, get a sword out and get the whacking. And, and that's about it. That's, that's really what I learned. Meanwhile, they know gangrel claws, flips, and weird stabs, and, and hurling hammers to kill you from a great distance. I'm not saying that's what happened, but that's about what you can expect a gladiator to do something impressive. Uh, to be what it is. All accounted for here. However, if we slow it down and go, there were no gangrel in Rome. As a soldier, you don't walk around with your shield that's left the house. You wouldn't have your weapon with you. Why would you do that? You're walking around normal, and you know the policies about swords inside the city itself. You don't need to. They had their own policing force that was on the inside. The soldiers had a break. Da 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 da. Soldier was a farmer. Yeah, 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 yeah. Go get your degree. Come back, and I'll sign up for your course. But until then, friend of mine, I want my action flick. Bring on the popcorn, right? That's the goal. But what about changing history? Do you feel we reserve the right to change actual history? When we play the game, yeah, uh, absolutely, it is. If there is, um, oh, yeah. if you, if you set a game at like a certain date around certain events, and it's not the outcomes of those events aren't flexible 
like um that's that's i think that's like well what's the point of, of playing the game if rome can't if camarilla can't be saved right now maybe that's not the focus of it i i personally prefer to have like uh big events like this be in the background right as in these happen you see that happen but if the focus of the game is is started on like the imperial royal family maybe your julii that you're the layers of the of the curtain like dynasty that's in control right that's that's an intriguing game i'd be all for that but that's like a, a focus of the game i'm gonna say inglorious bastards <laughs> i would i thought about that film when we were reading this section as well like absolutely like, it was entertaining so if, once again we go back to entertainment is entertaining are your players high on the situation or what's happening and are they feeling it why wouldn't you and it's a story the story is going to come to an end as well at one point or another so make it spectacular to them it also depends once again what type of storyteller you are but it, we're talking about changing history there's nothing wrong with it obviously if you're watching a glorious passage for those of you who enjoyed it Hitler didn't go down like that, but it'd be awesome if he did, and it was fun mm -hmm. to see it. And while it lasted, it's going to be something that's impressionable in my head. So why not? That's 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 how I see it. Buongiorno. 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 To to that effect, then I think we got that down pat. We get in the conflicts that we could have, and knowing yeah. that this isn't the first time some of you thought this, but maybe you don't do this in your own camp. I don't know if you two do this. I certainly do. Where I sit back and see what major conflicts I want to feel and kind of rack it through. Uh, what goes on based on the concepts of the players, right? Not all of these will fit. But one of my favorite ones out of here is Rome versus Barbarian. It's fantastic because if you're a fan of the story of the Ninth Legion and things like that, you're going you're gonna to love that. Or The Eagle is another film I could throw out there uh, where mm -hmm. uh, Hadrian's Wall is in effect and that's the mysteries that are out there and what, what the Barbarians were really like. And you get the Roman perspective where Rome basically called them the Barbarians at the gate. The very term is that where all these uncouth, uneducated brutes sit outside seeking to take away our way of life and our stability. And, oh, we must defeat them. And we will defeat them. We have no choice. Yeah. The barbarians fear Rome because you're going around killing everybody and enslaving their way, enslaving them, period. The whole nation's being dissolved into the Roman monster. One could call it a gigantic dragon, a mythical beast, an uncaring glutton that's going through and devouring the countryside. You could scare your children with the story of what it means to see a Roman centurion troop on the march. That they're all of one mind, right? Because they train to be so. They synchronize their military tactics and positioning. Things have not been seen in the world until then. The barbarians had to learn how to face this opponent. All this stuff means that the conflict of the story has dramatic layers on both sides of the fence. Now, Right. I was about to say the way that I view it is kind of like a sliding scale to kind of give you an idea of where you are with Rome, right? Because you're right. Rome at its peak, and I think it's even written somewhere in the laws of power, even Brit strategy, it's always have an enemy. If you don't have an enemy to focus all that energy on, something's going to happen. So when Rome was like, we got military, we got we got conquests on our minds we got campaigns to run you see the might of rome everyone's focus you see where all that strength is coming from but when you start seeing the complacency happen and everyone you're spread too thin you start seeing the barbarians start coming in because now it's our time to strike so where does your story take place about that right or is it are we all i can't eat any more stuffed dormice what's what's that sound in the background it'd be the barbarians coming right or the opposite <laughs> and it's like we got to go to war and 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 now you have like that driving force of what do you do? And if you do oppress them, you're right. Then, then that happens where, is it right? You just wiped out an entire family. It was for the might of Rome, really? But once again, we're players playing in the modern. How does that strike your player? And I think that's how I view the Roman versus barbarian theme in my head. All right. Uh, we, won't, we won't prompt <laughs> Brennan, but it didn't seem like he was engaged there. It's okay. It's all right. Sometimes we don't have to talk. I'm just saying. I'm just teasing it, really. Um, next is Roman versus Parthian. And what they're talking about is that we never hear about those who are opposing Rome successfully. Who couldn't Rome conquer? The Parthians. And in argument, they were just as civilized, although very different. Um, they were seen as at least as elaborate, if not as civilized as they got. And, and Rome had several skirmishes where they just were never able to, to defeat them, right? Border disputes. And uh, that's just how it went. But you could simply have that chronicle where you meet up with both halves to see how it goes down. Nothing wrong with that. <coughs> Excuse me. I would probably see it more like um, this is your uh, political arena is where it would be. 
right? This is where your deva coming in get to go like, what are they wearing? How are they doing? What are they drinking again? No, that's impossible. Listen, didn't we take care of Karthus last time even? No, 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 this is not the case. And I see this more as the arena where everyone's just trying to one-up each other in that petty hate war, right? When you start going to the, uh, welcome to the hater awards, and it's uh, <laughs> one, one civilization versus the other. Well, we saw how this went before, right? When you were a nation that, well, when you were a nation that couldn't oppose Rome, you were annihilated. Mm-hmm. Right. right, and we know that's the story of Carthage because if you look at photos of Carthage and how it was built and everything else, they were on the move and being just as evolved and civilized as Rome was. They were, they were different culture, but that was it, and they were being just as just as successful in a right time series of events. Freaking Cato, and it all comes tumbling down, right? And that's and that's how it is. But again, this book points that hypocrisy out. Don't need to beat that dead horse. But here's where an interesting one that normally would get overlooked. I know a lot of people have hesitancy for this. And it's the Christian versus pagan ideology here. I love this one. I personally like this one for the reason that I see it as an extreme political move at the time. Yes, there's a religious overtone to it and people get sensitive over it with good reason, especially if you are of the faith and you take it um, to that level, which is understandable. However, because this is a game... And because this is being spoken of in a conflict, you have to understand that, especially when you're including the Lankaean Sactum as a rising covenant, this is the beginning of them and the fact that they existed. And as Rome starts to fall, there's a rise to it. There's no denying it. The fact that Constantine at the end decided, well, time to go ahead and replace the eagle with the Christos, right? It's important. It's a political, it's a movement that actually happened and started wiping away the old. This plays upon the hypocrisy that we were talking about a little bit earlier. This definitely plays upon the decline and fall, and you get to see it in real time as you play this game. When people are like, well, it's going ahead, it's time to take this down, put <laughs> this back up. Or when you're watching like Kingdom of Heaven as an example, and it's like, well, Jerusalem is changing hands again. Let's go ahead and bring down all the Christian things and pull up, you know, all the, the Islamic iconography. This is happening to a degree where people are like, are you converting or are you not converting? Because that's be also real here for as much as we see it here. People, it might seem like a religion of peace, but when you start growing in power, did you convert? Did you not convert? Well, everyone's got to do it or else. All your old gods start to fade away. All the vampires that you're playing that were augurs at one point and were part of, you know, that particular aspect of the wing. What are they going to do? Do they convert or not convert? Do they stand on the sword or not? And that's like the, the corrosion. And there's, and there's other parts to this, too, that they get into, which I feel are just, you know, pointing out the obvious how one should think Christian versus Christian, emperor versus emperor, pagan versus pagan. And what they're talking about is different clashes of themes, right? Old versus new is typically how it goes. One easily can argue that Christianity being new was battling paganism to remove it because it was taking, honestly, it took a lot of its shtick of what it wanted to include in itself that was uh, preaching to the better and the improvement of mankind as it saw it uh to how to treat one another the birth of a conscience wow you know that's definitely going to be one to oppose many you're telling me a roman that i have to consider you and what i want done i mean if i can defeat you i get to do what i want this makes sense right excuse me you will get denied i have a best in you <laughs> no what do you mean turn the other cheek no i will not do this what oh, is man. wrong with you right that's that's right. kind of how that goes i'm not going to do that um but you must when it's another way around, right? And um, by any, what I mean by the other way around is, is that when you have to look at it from the pagan viewpoint, your world's coming to an end. This, this is like an apocalypse, you feel. And Rome sits with them, ironically, facing the same thing. But what, what has Rome always been known for? Practicality, which is why when the Cairo becomes a thing and replaces the eagle, it's like, oh, no, we're over here now. But then there's a series where we're talking about the decline where as one regime's defeated, another one rises. And sunrise, sunset, down to the barbarians on and up, right? Right. And that's an amazing thing to do this here. And they're telling you that whatever you're going to start your story, where you're going to start your game, these conflicts are nearly endless. They give you a handful to start chewing through, but you can go on and on and on. It's golden one. They, lay, they name last, and I appreciate mm-hmm. they do that. Where they talk about the Camarilla versus the Strix. But I feel we talked about the Strix before. We may have missed what the Camarilla is. So I'm going to let um, Brennan kickstart the Camarilla. And DJ, if you could, I know because you brought it up and you're like, I missed it. I didn't miss it. And I promise you, you get a chance to speak to it. So the Requiem Camarilla, take it away. 
So the Requiem Camarilla is, uh, to put it simply, the ruling body of Kindred for Rome. They claim all of Rome's territory as the property of the Camarilla, at least as it applies to uh, Kindred, to vampires, or uh, as they might call them, you know, the Strix. Uh, however, this is not to be conflated with the, the covenants presented in, in Requiem. This is not... Um, there's really no choice once you're in Rome or within its borders. You are a member of the Camarilla or you are an enemy. But inside of this, there are, of course, uh, multiple uh, divisions. At its core, the most important facet is the Cynics, which we've uh, referenced before, right? The Old Man, as it's called. This is where the Propinki gather. This is where the decisions for the Camarilla are made and debated on before they're decided on. Um, we're all familiar with the term Camarilla, but it actually means uh, the little chamber. And to highlight the importance of the Camarilla itself, it is placed directly under the Senatorial Council of Rome itself, just beneath the bedrock, carved out of the rock itself. So uh, to, to ask a question then, since you said the Camarilla, we know it's a governing body. We know we have it there. You got mm -hmm. that down. Um, who heads the Camarilla? Who heads the Camarilla is uh, the Cynics, right? That old man. And inside of that, there is um, a picture, picture that classic Roman uh, Senate room, right? It's a circular room, but it's tiered. And as at the bottom of the, of the room sits the most highest regarded, the eldest, the most powerful propinki there are, because those are the people that dominate the Cynics. And as you go up in tier, you have uh, the younger bloods or those less uh, of less status, right? These are other magistrates. These are other, uh, the aediles that handle out the division of property or the maintenance of the necropolis. And up at the very top, you have your uh, tribunes who are the representatives of uh, the, the masses and the magistrates, which are the representatives of the other wings because the Cynics, the Camarilla is not just the Cynics. There are uh, at this point, and when I say this point, I mean the 400 AD point that this book uh, really uh, frames. There are four other uh, wings, as they're called, for the Camarilla. It's the Legio Mortum, the Legion of the Dead. These are the soldiers and the police for the Necropolis, because these are not the only vampires in the world, and there's more than just vampires out there in the night. Uh, in addition to uh, the Legio Mortum, you have the Cult of Augurs, which we've already uh, mentioned before. These are the religious uh, the religious wing of the Camarilla. They are the ones that perform the rites to ensure the gods are appeased and divine the gods' messages. So, so hang um, on a second. Let's, let's give a pause real quick. DJ, DJ, why the hell would I want to listen to an auger? Like, I'm a vampire. Do I have time to listen to an augury read by some group if I'm a member of the Senate? You must. You have to. Why? Because... Is not the Strix also an aviary creature? Is it not the will of the gods that came down and bestowed upon you, the son of Mars, the ability to go ahead and continue? Then at one point or another, it has to be true, wouldn't it? Even if it means to inflate your ego and some auger is paid off to do so, it's once again the hypocrisy of whether or not it's true or not. So long as the flash is there and these people are here to also influence the masses in that fashion, that's why you would listen to them. Is that is that all it means, though? I don't believe so. I mean, there are people, there are, they're almost, there are the mystics. It's, it's weird because the way that this book, it's, I shouldn't say weird. All right, let's go ahead and try this again, right? Uh -huh. It's exactly speaking to the grandeur and hypocrisy of it because this is the one wing that kind of, if at all, truly espouses the fact that there are those that believe and are doing the will of the gods as they see it and see the rise and fall of Rome at one point or another and or their fates and those that are just straight charlatans. Oh, okay. So I just want to make sure I heard that correctly because I completely got what the Senex is doing, right? It's where the Julii right. sit. It's their idea. They get to sit at the, at, the, at the table, right? They're the little chamber, and that's fantastic. But apparently they're using the augers to control the masses then. There's no freaking yeah. way the Julii are sitting there believing, right, that the, hey, Mars wants uh, three things done here tonight, and uh, if they're not done, he's going to sack the city, is he now? 
right with an eyebrow raised that's what you think is happening right, right? Uh, well we need to talk to you a little because we need something at least that's what the people believe and we're back to where you were saying brennan that i could see how this works right i'm giving an idea of how the, how this organization works within rome as they wrote it right the, the cynics mm-hmm. does rule everything but there's certain things they have to tolerate mm-hmm. it's just like they take care of uh what they call the strangers oh. but what's their official name brennan the uh the peregrine council or not the peregrine collegia is what they're mm-hmm. called this is uh well the wing of well, yeah, yeah yeah named it the strangers these are the non-propinky these are the vampires that were embraced from well actual like slaves not those that were freed right not and uh, other foreigners those who were coming to uh, Rome, perhaps as members of the Roman military or as other just travelers, merchants, what have you. These are the people that don't really quite fit in the other places, but everyone has a purpose in the Camarilla. So these people are maybe your thieves, your spies. Maybe these are the people that watch uh, the mortals up above more than likely uh, actually, almost entirely the people um, I mentioned the Adiles, right? The people that uh, <clears throat> cover the construction uh, and the maintenance in the necropolis. They don't do it themselves. God forbid. They just <laughs> they just figure out what uh, what needs to be done and they make sure the work gets done. But the people that uh, perform it, i.e. the laborers of this are from the Peregrine <coughs> Collegia. So what we have here is understanding a distinction. It's not necessarily you're a slave. It's just that you're not Roman. Right? Because think about it. You are the, not propinky. Correct. And you're not a soldier. There you go. And it's like you don't serve it, right? Because soldiers go in the Legio. And we know what they mm-hmm. do. Right? They're the might. They're the will of the Senex. The Senex needs them to keep everybody else in line and will use them liberally. Right? They have no problem mm-hmm. doing that. Meanwhile, the augers here, the augers are for you. If, for the masses to sit there and understand that you'll be heard because here's where all the auguries do and here's that. Or better said, that if the cynics is going to listen to anyone, it's going to be to the gods. The one thing that they are willing to allow to be greater than themselves. That's mm-hmm. the truth. Publicly. Because it's hypocrisy. Certainly they don't yes. listen to the gods. Right? Because it comes from augers. They're not idiots. You know, let me get this straight. You're the vegetable virgin that we put there? We put you there. <laughs> To tell us the divine prophecy. Like, we have to interpret, we literally have to have another person interpret the mumble you have because we keep you drugged and otherwise to tell us what? An inauspicious or auspicious omen, what's this going to be? Well, why do you believe in this at all then, Bob? Because as a member of the Senex, I do not believe you, but I believe the auger who interprets a what? A natural phenomenon or an uncontrollable event that is interpreted as being the will of the gods. And if that auger can interpret it good enough, then I'll be moved. And that's really what the augers do. Their manipulation is to make the cynics believe, hey, we're harmless until we have something to manipulate and work for our benefit. And then we're devious. But I mean, comes from the gods. Meanwhile, to the masses, we need you to help us because the cynics listens to you. They don't listen to us. Will of the gods. Will of the gods. We need a tithe. Will of the gods. Thank you. Yes, will of the gods. Appreciate it. That's kind of what they do. And it's very mm-hmm. interesting. Meanwhile, if you're a visitor to this uh, necropolis that we have, and you're in this vast underground chambers they carved out to be the kingdom underneath, the veritable dark kingdom to Rome's upper conquesting kingdom, how in the hell could you possibly get a word into the Senex when they start passing their rulings? Like, I get oh. it. It's actually, it's actually pretty straightforward, pretty simple. Um, everyone who is a recognized member of the Camarilla is entitled to having their voice heard and their case presented. Now, voice. take that right. Just because you're heard doesn't mean people care or listen. <laughs> there is a very, very important role or office in the Cynex itself, and that is the role of consul. We might have heard this before. This is the individual who sits at the Cynex and he does not decide if laws are passed. He decides if they're heard. So DJ, uh, DJ Maximus comes up here and I as Consul Brentron will nod my head and say, you may plead your case. And you know, uh, his, his other person who's debating whatever law 
could come up and they're going to have their debate. And then Bobacus Maximus could come up and I'd be like, oh, look at the time. I have to be somewhere else. We're adjourned for recess. And I leave him basically on red. That is the power of the console. <laughs> right. Right. And, and very necessary if I'm in the Senex, because uh, we don't want to hear that shit all day. That's... <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> That's that's what they do. It's it's very I don't know. Now, it's it's Roman. I also need to point this out. It is also somewhat likely that Bobacus Maximus could have recognized that Consul Brentron was going to do this, and so he hired Nick's uh, like Tribune band to wait outside in the halls of the Camarilla and just beat the shit out of him whenever he walks out because there's no violence in in the little chamber itself. That wouldn't do. However. We don't really give a shit about the hallways and little crevices that are back there. Like, for real, you can get lost. <laughs> right. And after all, there are only three rules of the Camarilla, right? Three traditions. How simple, right? Dominion. <laughs> As you said, all the territory of the civilized world is ours. Done. Put a pin in it. That's that's that. If, we, if it's there and it's civilized, it's ours. Done to done. Second tradition is destruction. No vampire shall be put to final death without the express legal sentence of the Senex. Uh-huh. Hey, mm-hmm. did you notice how most of the uh, the Nosferatu and the Maquette are in the, the Perigene Collegia? Uh-huh. And how they're very... Uh, hey, did you see the Maquette DJ lately? Uh, I don't know. But uh, Nick Julia is... Uh, well, he's apparently a pile of ashes in his room now. Uh, sucks to suck, I guess. Interesting. <laughs> uh, but also, the last part of that uh, destruction is... The sentence of the Senex is great, but all citizens of the Camarilla are entitled to defense of dispute mm-hmm. in the necropolis forum y- yeah uh, i, I uh, love that head cock to the side like yeah you're entitled to defense <laughs> did we say you were getting like uh, the cochran defense no we didn't mm-hmm. right we didn't say you're getting anybody good look if you're if you're a julii right and the uh, the legio mortoon comes to arrest you oh oh you you can be pretty sure you're gonna have your voice heard in the in the cynics right but uh, if dj that same maquette is apprehended well you know, if he could speak up and say, I want my, my day in court, we probably could, but it's kind of hard for him to talk when his lower jaw is missing. We have a stake of wood through his heart. <laughs> and then finally, also true. And then finally, Sadly true. Amaranth, they're against it. You were wondering, and I know everybody was, where did this come from? Finally, you get a logical reason as to why Amaranth is bad. Maybe even the whole reason this book was made was to explain the stink of Diablery. And it is all mm-hmm. kindred of the Camarilla are forbidden from dia- uh, devouring the heart's blood of another vampire. Cannibalism is a tool of the nemesis, or the Strix if you prefer. And those who violate the commandments risk empowering our greatest enemy. And that is... Well, I like to call makes sense. Why? Mm -hmm. Because we know it deteriorates your spirit anyway, your hold of yourself. And the more you get uh, lack of humanity, probably the easier it is for the possession, right? You you don't have a good hold of you, but there's something that really wants to play in the blood of everything and everything else you can get up to. And it's... (laughs) I'm going to play in your blood. I'm just waiting for you to just have that last last bad day, Bob, and that's it. I'm going to take over. And then I'm going to win. You know, like Wario's just ever looking to take over Super Mario's uh, life, you know what I mean? That's... Yep. You never wondered that? Like, it's, I, I can't get Wario the vampire out of my head now. It's He's good. He's real good, especially with that red turtle shell. Oh, um, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but the, uh, the over-under here is that, that with that Senate in, in check, what do you have to go with and how do we run those mechanics and what we have to go on? We're not going to exhaust the system, but what I will tell you, they don't leave you high and dry. They do have an intimate system that gives you a pretty simple way to create a series of planned events during your court case based on the importance that you, the ST, want to build for dramatic effect in a given room. What do I mean? Let's say they have a case to go in front of the Senex and your players are brought in on one side and they wanted to cry an elder they saw do something that was against the law. I saw Elder uh, Brenonicus, he was feeding on uh, his own children to the Amaranth's destruction in the one of the many 212 bathhouses that, or bathhouses that were placed for Kindred to use after a certain time. And while he was in there, I couldn't use that particular bath. I enjoy the mud in it. And he wouldn't let me in it, but I did see him turn her to ash. And though she, she wiggled and died, and he is now what he is today. And Brennan could be standing in there with dried mud evidence. 
all over him, mostly cleaned off because he had to come for this appointment. But everyone cheekily understands is you can't possibly get all the mud off when you're in a rush. Stay there forever as you might. And it wouldn't be the first time a vampire stayed during the day underneath some mud in a nice bathhouse. But the point is, is there a burden of proof here? No, there's not. It is your word versus that elder's word immediately. And prestige and standing means everything. However, all are Camarilla, so you have an opening into talking points and whatnot. And you have many strategies to use. You could try the decry... They go through this, but I'm giving you an example. You can decry the elder in this instance and defame everything that Brennan is. And if you were good at it, you could totally humiliate what Brennan stands for and the fields he owns and the slaves he has and mention all sorts of terrible things as to why he preferred to be in that bathhouse in the first place is because he couldn't afford one of his own. Yet he's a member of the Mighty Senex. What a plague. He's pretender. He's no propinky. And, and a, a good argument's given. Mean, the rap battle continues. Meanwhile, that dis- right, the, <laughs> so it, it goes. But meanwhile, all Brennan's doing is he's, he keeps signaling to the back with a finger raise like he wants to interrupt, but it's not to interrupt. It's his paid men sitting next to the senators, feeding them wine, or blood, excuse me. He keeps slipping them coin in their drink. Every time a good argument's made against them, there's just cha-ching, cha-ching, using bribery to sway them so that this is laughed out of the area. And then suddenly these paid senators, the more that cup hears a ringing of a coin at the bottom, goes, of, of course you would have that opinion. I, 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 would, I would object to this very statement. Is How long are we going to allow this to happen? I am annoyed. My butt hurts, though I'm immortal. There's all sorts of stuff they begin doing to decry your argument, to try to pull mm-hmm. it apart. These tactics, and some Brennan mentioned the dirtier ones, they're, they're all over the place in this chapter for the players to go through and see just what they can get up to in taking part in a very good political maneuvering that I argue could be transferred to any game of politics. It absolutely could. I, uh, I love these, uh, these uh, circumstantial complications is the section, and uh, this is... Uh, not the last time we're ever going to see this in their publications, but it is something that is, uh, well, is a good resource to pull from. The number one complaint... Like any social situation. The number one, I wouldn't say complaint, but the number one obstacle that really is an opportunity, and I'm glad they see this uh, when they wrote this book, uh, for any gaming company is to instill tools that help you actually deliver the immersion of a serious moment like that. It's hard mm-hmm. to run a military war without understanding military rules, and you're not going to run out to learn them all. And instead of dumbing them down to a series of, you know, I fight you, Dragon Ball Z moments, you can actually get military conflict and the hardships in a smart rule system with a summary. And they do that. You know, this company's known for doing things like this. These authors do the same again, relating to social hierarchy and the importance of it. And uh, this is pays, pays dividends in this book. With all that said... Um, is there any last point you guys want to make as we wind it down here? As I feel, as great as this book is, there's a lot that folks are going to have to check out. We certainly love it, but man, do we talk through an hour every time we get to it. Right. Um, Carthago Delindo Est. It's, that's, that's cold blood. It's already destroyed. Don't, don't bring Cato back. I was about to say, this guy just is ruthless. Damn, Tennessee. That, um, that's cold. I think the only thing I have to say is, not only is it a joy to read, but the, the biggest differences that you'll read that will make the most impact is definitely setting um, along with why you play what you play. I think the one section, especially if you are trying to get into the mindset, this book has a very good meaning of what it's like to play of specific clans. I know we spoke about the Julii because it's just, it's it's so outrageous, there's no not way of doing it. The book even tells you, <laughs> be an asshole. To play a Julii, you gotta be that dude. And it'll also tell you, if you're gonna play members of a specific wing, play this up, or if you're gonna play a specific clan, play this up. Because this is the rise of when you start seeing certain stereotypes or certain aspects of those characters come into play. And then when that happens and you play in your modern game again, you're like, wow, how did that change so much? And that's what leaves me in awe. So I think that's what's pretty cool about this book. Absolutely. Uh, I feel I've talked an amazing amount about this book. There's no way I can not, not like it. It's, uh, you all love it. Buy it again. That's what I'm saying. I love this book so much, I say buy it again. I certainly did. Um, I have and owned the uh, both dual books. They were given in a package once upon a time. I ate that up, bought them no problem off of a couple couple good games I had with them. And then once again, as we did the review, I had to own the actual heart, uh, PDF for them uh, that came through too and got those. 
And uh, that's... Uh, you, you all should do it. You should find it. You should get him twice. That's what I say. Uh, but... I digress. I really hope they uh, they update this with maybe a, a second Ed Flair, maybe. I don't know. Add some more stuff. Um, I, I don't know what else they could add, to be honest. This is the Total Package Complete book, in my opinion. And uh, they tell a great story in its own with the fall of, uh, fall of uh, the Camarilla uh, coming up. So, uh, But with all that said, let's wind this down, fellas. What do you say? Sounds good. All right. It was fun. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, thanks, everybody. And, of course, there's a ton that we didn't get to because we have a limited amount of time. But we more than hit the major points to introduce you to uh, fantastic work. Thank you once again for listening. And uh, tune in next time in the new year. We appreciate you. Have fun with your family this holiday and really enjoy uh, the time you spend. Stay safe. Thank you for listening to our 25 years of Vampire the Masquerade podcast. If you liked what you heard, please reach out and let us know on Twitter at 25 years of VTM at our email info at 25 years VTM.com on Facebook at www.facebook.com slash 25 years VTM or on our website www.25yearsvtm.com If you would like to support us, we can be found at patreon.com slash 25 years of Vampire the Masquerade.